Hello, my name is Adrian Goldberg and welcome to the Byline Times podcast. The Byline Times is what the papers don't say, what radio doesn't report and what telly doesn't tell you. This time, is it time to tune out of Spotify? The streaming service is regarded as indispensable by many musicians, with emerging artists in particular often regarding it as a valuable source of exposure. But it's also been accused of being tight-fisted when it comes to paying out royalties. Last year, it did pay out more than seven billion US dollars. That's around five point seven billion pounds, more than a thousand artists earning in excess of a million dollars each. That sounds impressive, doesn't it? But more than half of that $7 billion, $4 billion of it, went to major record labels. There have also been complaints that Spotify's podcasts allow for the spread of misinformation, with Neil Young pulling his new music earlier this year after a Joe Rogan episode that questioned the safety of COVID vaccines. We're going to talk about this with Rob Percy, who runs the independent record label Skepwax, and Mark Christopher Lee, who tries to game Spotify's algorithms with his band, The Pocket Gods, by releasing tracks of just over 30 seconds duration. I'll be playing Devil's Advocate. It's on my new album. Before that, though, here's Kyle. Hello there, listener. This is Kyle Taylor, the author of Byline Book's newest release, The Little Black Book of Lying Boris Johnson, the second in the Little Black Book series. Since the start of his career, Boris Johnson has been a proven liar. The Little Black Book of Lying Boris Johnson reflects on the decades-long history of deceit that has paved Johnson's path through the media to City Hall and eventually to 10 Downing Street. It shows how seemingly small, insignificant lies have been used to numb a nation to the truth, while also corrupting the very idea of decency in British politics. This time, we've got an amazing forward from Don Butler, a Labour MP ejected from the House of Commons chamber for calling out Johnson's lies, and an afterword by Peter Stefanovic, who's been documenting Johnson's lies on social media to an audience of millions. The Little Black Book of Lying Boris Johnson is a frank and uncompromising biography of the man who wanted to be world king. The story about our former prime minister who wants back into number 10, making sure that Boris Johnson doesn't rewrite his own history. You can get your copy now at littleblackborisbook.com. That's littleblackborisbook.com. That's Kyle Taylor. So, Rob, welcome. Mark, welcome. Rob, you're in a couple of bands yourself, the Catenary Wires and the Swansea Sound, but people will struggle to find your bands on Spotify and your own label, Skepwax, as well. Tell me why. Well, to be honest, the Catenary Wires you will find on Spotify and the Swansea Sound, for the most part, you won't. I think because within the label, (laughs) there is an argument about the best policy to adopt towards Spotify, which is, on the one hand, you do get more exposure, you are heard more. But on the other hand, you are ripped off more. And I suppose I'm of of those involved in the label, I'm the more doctrinaire and dogmatic about it. And Swansea Sound is the band where I write the songs. So I get to say whether or not the songs go on Spotify. And for the most part, they don't. And a lot of people are under a misapprehension that the amount of times you are streamed on Spotify equates in a simple way to how much money you earn from Spotify. But it really isn't as simple as that, is it? Because the major record labels, the major music publishers, they carry more weight 
and they can negotiate better deals for their artists than how shall I put it politely, Rob? Yeah, less less well known artists such as those yeah. on your label. That's absolutely true. I mean, if you're on a major label of the three major labels who also control the publishing companies, so there is no longer any real competition between record labels and publishers because they're effectively they've effectively all merged. So they have the power between themselves to write the rules that Spotify abides by. So if it suits them to push more towards the songwriter or more away from the songwriter, that's what they will do. It's also true that if you're on a major label, you as a band will have very little sight of the way these revenues work. Um, They're notoriously opaque. So Spotify and the major labels are kind of locked into a, a kind of hideous embrace where Spotify can do will do what it what the major labels want in order to appease them, and the major labels will will benefit by, for example, their bands are the ones that appear that appear on the playlists of new music, which is where everybody really needs to be. And if you're on a major label, then you're more likely to find your song appearing on one of those crucial playlists. Yeah, so essentially, it isn't a level playing field. If you're connected with a major record label, you'll earn greater royalties greater royalties per stream but also you will also get greater exposure on the platform which then will convert to more streams and therefore more revenue yeah in that respect it's it's a bit like it's the same old same old in as much as record labels major record labels have always made it their business to extract as much value as possible from the music and to give as little of it as possible to the musicians i mean it's happened ever since recorded music happened (laughs) and the streamers have kind of turbocharged it and made it actually easier for them to to play that trick. Mark, you, as I said, tried to game the system of Spotify. You embrace Spotify in a way, all your music's available on Spotify, but with a particular purpose. I think uh, when I've interviewed you before, you described Mm. you as the kind of the Malcolm McLaren of streaming services. So uh, tell us how you tried to game Spotify and why. Well, yeah, I'd say gaming. I mean, I've had an independent label since early 2000s and we were digital only. So we kind of embraced the streaming platforms of the time, including Spotify. Well, But then we realised we weren't getting very much money per stream and weren't getting very much revenue in. And then I saw an article in 2015 by a a US music professor, Mike Errico, who questioned why artists were still writing three minute pop songs when the streaming media of today paid out after 30 seconds. So I thought, ah, I'm just gonna write 30 second songs, knock a load out on one album and try and, what you say, gain the system. But yeah, that's what we've done. We've released a series of 30 second song albums culminating earlier this year with a thousand song album, all 30 seconds long. But I have to say, he's had a million streams, that album now, which sounds really, really impressive. And, you know, I'm very grateful for everyone who's listened to it. But we've only made about three or 400 quid from a million streams from Spotify, which is ridiculously small amounts of money. So we, we've actually stopped our campaign now. And what we've done, we've released our last album on, on vinyl, one copy only, available at our local record shop for a million pounds. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> there's one copy available for a million pounds. With the funds, we're going to set up our own ethical streaming service where we're going to pay artists at least one penny per stream. That's the plan. We've got it all costed and it can yeah, work. You're just going to find somebody to pay a million quid for it. 
Yeah, that's the, that's the hard bit. But uh... <laughs> obviously, there's a humorous aspect to this. There is something of the provocateur about this. You did release an yeah. album in 2017, a mere 300 songs of 30 seconds duration, as you say, in yeah. 2022, a thousand track album, each track of around 30 seconds mm. duration. But despite then, a million streams for that, you've only earned a few hundred quid. Yeah, I know. It's crazy, isn't it? I mean, uh, and I've had a meeting with Spotify on the back of the Thousand Song album. And like you said, they kind of like what I'm doing and saying it's always a bit like Malcolm McLaren kind of thing. They try and justify, they've got the same gospel they get out every time someone wants to speak to them and say, yeah, we pay 70% of all our money over to artists where, you know, independent music's really important to us. So they've got the spiel and they'll keep saying all that. But at the end of the day, like Rob said, the, the major labels have preferential access to the playlist, which is what you need nowadays if you're going to make any money and make any headway, really. And there is a lack of clarity over how you're paid. And there does seem to be some better deals for the major labels than the independent artists. This is from Spotify's own loud and clear website, Rob, loudandclear.com. They're attempting to introduce, they say, some transparency into their transactions. And they say that in the CD era, nearly 25% of US album sales were accounted for by the top 50 artists. But on Spotify in 2021, only 12% of US streams were by the top 50 artists. So they're arguing that effectively this is a, a democratizing force. They've <laughs> lowered the barriers to entry to getting your music heard. You don't need a conventional record label anymore. And that mm. as a result, the stranglehold of a relatively small number of artists has been broken by Spotify. Yeah, no, I've heard that argument many times. In fact, you heard a version of it recently with the recently arrested crypto boss who argued that the kind of that the crypto economy would be a democratizing force because it'd be unregulated. It turned out to be a vehicle for exploitation. Surprise, surprise. So that's not necessarily a fair comparison with Spotify, though, is it? I mean, no, but I, what I mean is that the kind of the, the rhetorical use of inverted commas democratization as an excuse for exploitation is the same rhetorical trope that you hear from both of them. It's clever of Spotify because there's nothing intrinsically wrong with digital music. It's great to be able to get music to people. Mm. And it's, it's true that it's a lot easier. And indeed, that's why we use Bandcamp a lot because. People can listen to your music and decide whether to buy it. And it's very, very easy. And they can have a quick free listen before deciding whether to buy. And that's great. And digital technology in itself is, is clearly extraordinary because it's a frictionless way of, of getting stuff to people. But the issue is who controls it and how it's controlled. And that is clearly deeply problematic. As you mentioned, Rob, you've got experience on both sides of the fence because Swansea Sound, one of the bands you're involved with, are only really available on Bandcamp or uh, on vinyl. And Catenary Wires do stream via Spotify. Are you able to give us some sense of stream numbers and revenue from Spotify for Catenary Wires? It's similar to what was just said. It's kind of a few hundred quid. It's derisory. And in pure financial terms, you may as well not have bothered. We made a lot more money by selling quite a small number of records. <laughs> The upside, as Spotify would and its proponents would loudly articulate, is that more people hear you, more 
apparently more people hear you because you'll have been streamed so many thousands of times. But in financial terms, it's if I can, if I can put it bluntly, Swansea Sound is a more profitable band than the Catenary was, and Spotify doesn't have Swansea Sound. And that's because through Bandcamp, where people can pay, but you get a greater share of the the streaming revenue, or via Vine, yeah, I mean, you, you get a, way, you get a bigger cut. Yes, I mean you, you don't get they, they you're allowed to listen to stuff on Bandcamp a couple of times before you're told to buy it. So that that streaming component is a kind of like a shop window, and that's free. So you can browse for free, which is fine. If you go into a record shop, you can browse for free. You don't have to buy the record. But then if you sell the record or the digital download, then the band or the label will get something like, I don't know, over 80% of the revenue. Mm. Uh, It's an extraordinary contrast, really, when you think mm. about it. Mark, Spotify say that Mm -hmm. more than 50,000 artists generated $10,000 from Spotify alone in the last year. So this isn't a case of money just going to the big name artists. Yeah, I mean that that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? But you're saying ten thousand is not a lot of money, and I, I would I would say it's not enough to make a living out of music. I think Spotify is kind of holding a lot of independent art, artists to ransom in terms of they're roughing the experience to the listener in terms of improving analytics and things like that for the bands, and they can see where their audience is. They can you know zone in on where it is and everything like that and it's great you've got all this information analytics and the data that's brilliant okay and they're trying to use that as a way of selling spotify as a vehicle and they're bringing in the discovery mode which is basically independent artists will get access to playlists but they'll get a reduced uh, royalty rate even further so that's a bit worrying in itself as well so i do worry about where it's going and with the meeting I had actually with Brian Johnson, head of music for Spotify, he was just saying the same old cliche, you shouldn't rely on music streaming as the main source of income. Recorded music shouldn't be the main source of income anymore. You should see it as a slice of the pizza, is what he said. And artists should make money elsewhere. But where though? People say, <laughs> you know, live music. There's not much money in that at the moment, especially with venues taking all the percentage of the, the merch and things like that. And big artists like Little Sims have had to cancel concerts in the US because just can't make any money. So I do worry about independent artists making a living, really. The figure that's regularly quoted is that Spotify hands back 70% of its income in revenue. And if it handed out 7 billion US dollars last year, that leaves an enormous amount of money for Spotify. And yes, they have to run this machine, as it were. But again, there's a question, isn't there, about whether that's a, a fair ratio, given that all of the content comes either from musicians or from podcasters and doesn't cost Spotify anything. Maybe actually the exception is somebody like Joe Rogan if they sign up a, a podcaster mm. exclusively, but they're not original creators of content in their own right. They're effectively piggybacking on other people's creativity. They've added something to it, but whether the 70 to 30 ratio is appropriate is a big question, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I think that, I mean, it's obviously a model that is not designed with the welfare of musicians in mind, but also I think like a lot of other digital-driven companies, it appeals to enough consumers to seem like a really good idea. So 
I don't know what a Spotify subscription is. I haven't got one, but it's it's not a huge amount of money. And I think in a way it operates a bit like Uber, where a clever algorithm or a clever piece of technology permits a very small number of people to attempt to monopolize a market and then extract all the value out of it. And in the case of Uber, obviously with greatly reduced rights and working conditions for those people who are driving the cars. And they are also, we're told, get, feeling really grateful for the technology in the same way that Spotify tells us as musicians, we should be grateful mm. for this technology. It's not great. It's appropriation. The technology is extraordinary, but it's being used to erode the working conditions of taxi drivers or indeed musicians. I agree with what Rob says, but I don't think it's all at the fault of Spotify. I think people who subscribe to Spotify, like myself, we have to look at ourselves and think, do we value music? How much are we willing to pay for it? And that's the thing. We've got, I pay £9.99. I've got access to nearly every song that's been recorded. That, that's your monthly subscription, isn't it? I think a yeah. family subscription is about £15.99. Yeah, but you and, and, it is, and it is, if you like, having the world's biggest record yeah. store at your fingertips. But the question, I suppose, Mark, is not whether the price is a fair one, because as a consumer, you can either choose to pay the price or not. But having paid the price, which many people might think, oh, that's a very decent price for the range of music I've got available. But what you don't have as a consumer is any say over how that is then distributed. That's the, the frustration, I suppose, isn't it? It is. I mean, companies like SoundCloud have introduced more user-centric payments, so you know where your money's going to. You play one artist all month, the money will go to that artist, which is a more clear system, and they're paying slightly higher rates. So I think that's true. A new company, a new company called Sunstream are worth checking out, and they're a more of an ethical platform, a bit like Bandcamp, but it's a streaming platform. And they're doing really well, well, I think, and and trying to make better payments to artists and songwriters. It's, it's also songwriters. Songwriters get such a small amount from streaming. I get my PRS statement. I think, oh, cracky! <laughs> a couple of million streams. They have got like fifty p from. <laughs> you cut innocent on the PRS front because I think what people forget about Spotify is it doesn't just take the place of the sale of CDs and and records. It takes the place of radio. So. If you get a song played on the BBC, you get a few quid by the PRS for that having happened. Now, that model of the songwriter or the band being paid for their music being played on the radio is not replicated by Spotify. So as radio consumption is sort of threatened or diminished by people listening to streams all the time, another source of revenue that musicians could have relied on disappears and the only other thing I'd, I'd want to say, just in terms of what we we're just talking about, is that going back to consumers, it's incredibly hard to persuade people once they've got their bargain Spotify that there's anything wrong with that. The closest comparison I can think of is it took a long time, I think, but people gradually came to realize that free range eggs were better than battery chicken eggs because the conditions in which the battery chickens were kept were so grotesque, it was worth spending a few p more on eggs that were created ethically. And that did happen. There was a kind of, I don't know, I don't know what, how many people buy free range eggs these days, but quite a lot do. And that's because it's become accepted and understood by consumers that if you want to sustain an industry and you want to sustain conditions that are humane, then it's worth spending a bit more. And I think that somehow that message <laughs> ought to somehow be ringing in consumers' ears. I don't know how, but that's probably the kind of most likely route to a better and more equitable system. 
And you've mentioned Bandcamp where you can listen a couple of times and then if you like what you hear, you can pay to download a stream. What about other streaming services like Tidal, Deezer, Apple Music? Spotify seems to be the market leader, but are they any more equitable in their treatment of artists? For my experience, Tidal used to pay quite a bit more than the other services, but then I didn't get paid by them very often. It was like every six months and things like that, and they didn't report very well. Apple Music pays slightly more, but as a listening experience, I don't think it's as good as Spotify. Hence, they've got smaller market share, I guess. From my experience, YouTube and TikTok are probably the worst payers, far worse than Spotify, I would say. I think that is true. I mean, I think that people, we've always assumed that people use YouTube slightly differently, which is that you might dip in to look at a video and Mm. see a song and then go, oh, I like that band and move on. So in our heads, we've kind of rationalised that situation as more like a marketing tool in the same way that Spotify Mm. would argue that their platform is a marketing tool. But all in all, you've got nowhere to turn really because presenting those as alternatives, YouTube, Apple Music, Spotify, these are, they're all kind of the same. They're all appropriating your content or your, or taking your content, often to pay themselves greatly in advertising fees, which are associated with all of those platforms, and subscription fees, which they take. So there's not feel like there's much to choose between them. I think Spotify feels more egregious because it affects you from so many different directions, including radio, as I said, and it probably is the most powerful. And it's become ubiquitous. I think that it's debt-driven. I mean, it's not. I don't think it's even profitable yet because... It's one of those companies in which a great deal of investment's taken place in the hope that it will become the monopolist. It will become the Google of music. Google got there <laughs> and nobody thought to stop it. And Google is now synonymous with search yeah. and has made itself vastly rich as a result. And Spotify, I think, hopes to become the equivalent of music in the same way that Bezos wanted Amazon to become the same thing of retail. I mean, they're all aggressively monopolistic people and the investment that goes into them is quite true because if you think this company is going to become synonymous with music or retail, mm. then that's probably where you want your money to be. I did see one report a couple of years ago suggesting that it would take 786 streams to generate enough revenue to buy a cup of coffee. <laughs> that was based on the yeah. United States. There's some figures from the United States relating to Spotify. And Robbers, you've demonstrated you're on both sides of the fence you've kind of lost the argument with your one band catenary wise who are available on spotify and the argument i hear from many many emerging artists is they feel that they have to be there because as you've said it's kind of got a a number one position in the field not yet the only one but it is market leader and however poor the rate of return however few cups of coffee several thousand streams would buy you, artists feel that they have to be there because to not be there is almost a sign that you don't exist. Yeah, no, I think it's it's true. We are, as a band, I mean, we've been around a while and we're not, we're not people who are just trying to start out. So there's a set of, relatively small, but there's a set of people who know us and who will come to Bandcamp or come to our gigs. If we were a brand new band, if we were in our teens, we'd be in a very different situation. So I suppose the position we've found ourselves in is that 
but I suppose what me and Mark have in common is that we both effectively run labels as well as being in bands. And it's when you run the label as well that you really get to see what's going on or start to think about it. Yeah. And most young bands, they will sign up to whichever route looks like it's going to deliver for them. At least at our ripe old age, we can do what the heck we like. And if nothing else, we can sort of point out to other people who, who listen, including younger bands, that there's something deeply problematic with this setup. And Mark, are you going to carry on then trying to find a way to bamboozle the Spotify <laughs> algorithm in order to make your fortune? Or is, is that it now, now that you've got your, I mean with, your with one the thousand... album selling for a million quid? Well, that's, that's what I'm hoping. I mean, with the thousand song album, that, that was the peak, really. I mean, when I did the album, I didn't know whether it was going to get on Spotify. And when I pressed send to the distributor, the system crashed. Because obviously no one's ever done it before. <laughs> so I was having panic. I've done this for months on this album. I'm not going to be able to release it. But luckily it did get out. But I don't know where to take it, the 30 second song from there. I mean, we've made a film about it called, you know, Inspired a 30 Second Song Story, just detailing the campaign and the issues around music streaming. That's coming out next year. So I'm going to be hammering that. Uh, and that hopefully should get the message out, really. And We've got this album, like you say, for a million pounds, and we will invest the money. It's not me trying to make some money and fly off to the Philippines or something like that. It's me, you know, I want to set up this ethical streaming service where we will pledge to pay at least a penny a stream, which doesn't sound very much, but it's 50 times mm. Spotify's current rate. And I think even if it's not going to be the biggest streaming service in the world, it's not going to be the biggest company, but it's making a start, it's doing something positive and hoping others will follow, like the free-range egg argument. It's doing the right thing. It's getting the music consumer to do the right ethical thing. Stop paying a pittance for musicians from Spotify and do something positive. Go for this different streaming service, which will pay artists and songwriters a fair amount. And that's what it's about for me. If that service existed, then I'd look seriously at being on it. You get Sometimes people assume you're just being a bit of a Luddite. You're really not. It's not to do with the technology. The technology yeah. itself is amazing. It's about who's in control of it. Yeah, absolutely. Rob, great to speak to you. Rob Percy from Catenary Wise and Swansea Sound, two brilliant bands. Also, the Sket Wax record label has a terrific artist on it as well. And thanks also to Mark Christopher Lee from The Thank Pocket you. Gods, that you can hear on Spotify, a thousand tracks of 30 seconds duration. And don't forget, it's got an album for sale, only cost you a million quid. I'm Adrian Goldberg. This has been the Byline Times podcast, funded by subscriptions to the Byline Times, our brilliant monthly newspaper, which features content that you can't read anywhere else. We don't have a millionaire backer. There's no big media corporation behind us. Worth noting, by the way, that Spotify sponsor Barcelona. That's how much money they've got. They sponsor the stadium that Barcelona play in. They're a big business. We haven't got anything like that behind us. We rely on ordinary readers and listeners like you to support our fearless independent journalism. You get details on how to subscribe over at bylinetimes.com. Christmases are coming. How about taking out a gift subscription for that special someone in your life? Subscriptions start from as little as £3 a month. So head over to bylinetimes.com for more details. We'll see you again very soon. But for now, thank you and goodbye. Cheers. Cheers.